Chapter Six of Midnight. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Midnight by Octavius Roy Cohen. Chapter Six, regarding Roland Warren. For a long time after Evelyn departed, Carroll remained seated, puffing amusedly on the cigar which followed his matutinal cigarette. Time had been long since the detective had come in contact with so much youthful spontaneity, and he found the experience refreshing. Then he rose and would have left the apartment for headquarters, but again Frida announced a caller. "'Another young lady?' questioned Carroll. "'No, sir. It been young feller.' "'Show him in.' The visitor entered, and Carroll found himself gazing into the level eyes of a slightly dishelved and obviously excited young man of about twenty-eight years of age. The man was slight of stature, but every nervous gesture bespoke wiriness. "'Are you Mr. Carroll?' "'Yes. I'm Gresham, Garrison Gresham.' "'Ah, won't you be seated?' "'Yes, I came to have a talk with you.' Carroll seated himself opposite his collar. Then he nodded. "'You came to see me?' "'About the Warren case.' "'You know something about it?' "'Yes,' the young man seemed to bite the word. "'I do.' "'What?' "'You're in charge of the case, aren't you?' "'Yes.' "'You've seen this morning's papers?' "'I have.' "'Well, they're rotten, absolutely rotten. "'They don't say it in so many words, "'but the impression they create is that my sister, Hazel, "'was the woman in the taxi who killed Roland Warren. "'It's a damned lie!' "'The young man was growing more excited. "'Carol put out a restraining hand. "'I quite agree with you, my friend.' It was a pretty rotten impression to create, but I shall see that all doubt is removed from the mind of the public when this afternoon's papers appear. I have just learned that your sister has an ironclad alibi. You have already learned that? Yes. Gresham leaned forward eagerly. What makes you sure that she did not, was not... Suppose I question you, if you have no objections. Fire away. Where was your sister at midnight last night? At home. Alone? I mean, was anyone besides your family there? Yes, replied Gresham, showing surprise at Carroll's evident knowledge of facts. Who? Evelyn Rogers spent the night with her. Evelyn's a seventeen-year-old kid who has had what I believe you call a crush on my sister. They were together in that house from ten o'clock last night, or earlier, until this morning. And if you don't believe that... But I do. I have just had a visit from Miss Rogers, and she told me exactly what you have just repeated. So I'm pretty well satisfied that your sister had nothing whatever to do with the affair." I will take pains to see that this evening's papers make that quite clear. Gresham rose. 
A load seemed to have dropped from his shoulders. "'That's white of you, Carol. I appreciate it.' "'Not at all. I have no desire to cause annoyance or inconvenience where it is unnecessary. And Miss Rogers told me, with great attention to detail, just why and how it was impossible for your sister to have been anywhere except at home last night. "'Evelyn's considerable of a brick, in spite of the fact that she's more or less minus in the upper story. And now, if you're really satisfied, I'll be going.' The two men walked to the door together. They were about of a height, Carol slightly the heavier of the two. "'You've no idea as to the identity of the woman in the taxicab, have you, Gresham?' "'No. Have you?' "'None whatever, though I fancy something ought to develop in the near future. The city is discussing it pretty freely.' "'The town's wild about it. They don't understand anything. It's tough on my sister. Hazel is only a kid, and I think she was in love with Warren.' "'Well, good day, Carol,' he extended a firm hand. "'Any time I can be of any help.' "'Thanks, Gresham.' Five minutes after Gresham's departure, Carol was in his car, headed for the police station. He turned the case over and over in a keen analytic mind which had been refreshed by a night of untroubled sleep. There were a good many features about it which puzzled him considerably. While he had not expected that the trail of the mysterious midnight woman would lead to the fiancé of the dead man, the sudden dissipation of that as a clue rather threw him off his balance. He had reached the end of a trail almost before setting foot upon it. Thus far he had refused to allow himself to be worried by the strangest feature of the case, the appearance of the dead body in a taxicab which, according to its driver's story, could not have been other than empty. It was always easy to explain the disappearance of a person from an automobile, but he figured it was patently impossible to enter one without the driver's knowledge. He reached headquarters and closeted himself with leverage. They plunged at once into a discussion of that phase of the case. "'There are only two things which could have happened,' said the chief of police slowly. "'One is that someone croaked that bird Warren "'and shoved him into the cab while the woman was riding in it. "'The other is that he slipped into the cab and she killed him. "'While I ain't jumping on no set ideas, "'I have a hunch that the last one is right.' "'Why?' "'Because the other,' That idea of putting a dead body into a cab without the driver knowing it, it just naturally ain't possible. Then you are quite convinced, Leverage, that Walters did not know anything about it? Now say, Carol, that's putting it up to me rather strong. But since you're asking, I'm here to say that I believe the kid. Of course it's possible that he was in on the deal, but I'm betting liberty bonds against Russian rubles that he'd have slipped somewhere if that had been the case. Nobody that's in on a murder deal is going to frame a lie that sticks his bean as close to a noose as Walters would be if he's not telling the truth. 
Sounds reasonable, and yet... I'm surprised at you suspectin' the kid. I don't suspect him. But you said... We can't overlook anything. That's what I said. It's what I was driving at, anyway. So far, Walters is the only tangible clue we've had to work with. As I told you, the Hazel Gresham trail died a morning. The kid who came to see me this morning cleared her, and then her brother came along right afterward, red-hot over the insinuations against his sister in the papers. As matters stand now, there's nothing to tie to but Spike Walters. I'm glad you're handling it, said Leverage fervently. And, as you are, I'm making so bold as to ask what you're going to do next. A little general inquiring. You can help me on that. For one thing, I want to get hold of every bit of dope I can regarding Warren. Who he was, where he came from, what he did, the size of his bank deposits, his business connections, his social life, and especially every morsel of gossip that's ever been circulated about him in connection with women. Hmm, you think this dame was a society sort? Probably. He was undoubtedly going away with her, and a man of his stamp doesn't often elope with a woman of the other type. True enough. Well, I'll get you what dope I can. I want it all. I'm afraid this is going to resolve itself into a contest of elimination. The city is buzzing about the case today, and it ought to be pretty easy to get hold of a world of gossip concerning Warren's love affairs, provided he had any. Everybody's concerned over the identity of that woman, and every woman Warren has ever been mixed up with, even in the most innocuous way, is going to be dragged into the case. Carroll made his way from headquarters direct to the Consolidated Railroad ticket office. He introduced himself to the chief clerk and stated his business. The other showed keen interest. "'The tickets were sold to him in this office, Mr. Carroll. This young man here sold them.' Carroll smiled genially at the skinny young chap who bustled forward importantly, proud of his temporary spotlight position. You sold some tickets to Roland Warren? Yes, sir. When? Day before yesterday. You are sure it was Mr. Warren? Yes, sir. I have known him by sight for a long time. About the tickets, what did he buy? Two tickets and a drawing room on number 29 for New York, due to leave at 11.55 last night. You're sure he bought two tickets and a drawing room? Or was it one ticket? It had to be two. We can't sell a drawing room unless the purchaser has double transportation. You delivered both tickets to him personally? Yes, sir. Gave them both to him. From the ticket office, Carroll went back to headquarters, and from there to the coroner's office, and, accompanied by that dignitary, to the undertaking establishment where the body was being kept under police guard. Nothing had yet been touched. 
the inquest had resulted in a verdict of death by violence inflicted by a revolver in the hands of a person unknown. Carroll again ran through the man's pockets. In a vest pocket he discovered what he sought. He took the trunk check to the Union Station and through his police badge secured access to the baggage room. The trunk was not there. He compared checks with the baggage master and learned that the trunk had duly gone to New York. He left orders for it to be returned to the city. From there he went to the office of the division superintendent and left a half hour later, after an exchange of telegrams between the superintendent and the conductor of the train for New York, which informed him that the drawing-room engaged by Warren had been unoccupied, nor had there been an attempt on the part of anyone to secure possession of it. Also, that the only berth purchased on the train had been at a small-town stop about four o'clock in the morning. Obviously, then, the person who was to share the drawing-room with Warren, and for whom the second ticket had been bought, had never boarded the train. The trail had doubled back again to the woman in the taxicab. It was not until two o'clock in the afternoon that Carroll returned to headquarters. He found Leverage ready with his report. "'For one thing,' said the chief, "'there isn't a doubt that Warren was getting ready to leave town, and for good.' "'How so?' Leverage checked over his list. First, he had sublet his apartment. Second, he had with him eleven hundred dollars in cash. Third, he left his automobile with a dealer here to be sold and did not place an order for any other car. And fourth, Leverage paused impressively. Yes, and fourth, he fired his valet yesterday. End of chapter six. Recording by Roger Moline.